I'm Emily Rendell Watson, and this is Taproot Edmonton Presents Igniting Innovation. Today's episode is all about Future Fields, a local startup that raised $60,000 at the Startup TNT Investment Summit earlier this year. I'm back with Zach Storms, founder of Startup TNT. Zach, can you remind us a little bit about what the Investment Summit is and how it works? Yeah, thanks, Emily. Great to be back. So the Investment Summit is an eight-week deal screening process that trains new investors the ins and outs of angel investing. They commit $5,000 to invest together as a group into a local company. So they each put $5,000 in. Altogether, they're investing $150,000 this time around into one local company here in Edmonton. They've been doing the due diligence for the last few weeks. They'll be selecting the winning investment live at the summit on November 19th. And Future Fields was one of the companies that raised money at our first summit back in February. And if you're interested to check out more about what's happening with the Investment Summit as we get closer and closer, you can check out startuptnt.com for more info. For the episode today, we're going to be talking to Jaleen Anderson-Barron and Leji Gafur. They're two of the co-founders of Future Fields. Hello. 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 So I want to start with what is Future Fields? I know that you're in the cellular agriculture space, but tell me a little bit more about what you're actually doing and what you're trying to build. Absolutely. So we make the most important ingredient for lab-grown meat, which is the cell culture media. Basically, in the process of cellular agriculture, so when you're making something, whether that be milk or meat products, you know, any type of agricultural product, the cells need something to grow in. So we describe it as you know, sometimes like the nutrient broth or the soup, or you can think of it like the liquid in the bioreactor. And that is what we do. We, we make that. Ultimately, our vision is to feed the world through cellular agriculture. So we see a future where global food security can actually exist and where our collective reliance on the resources we depend on now for food production have been reduced to a level that can be sustained indefinitely. We like to say that agriculture is characterized by periods of revolution throughout history, and we are really trying to lead the next one. And within the industry of cellular agriculture, what we create, the growth media, is the main consumable that's required and has been a hurdle for this industry for some time. You know, one of the biggest challenges is that the growth media makes up around 90% of the cost of production right now. And so it really is one of the biggest remaining barriers to commercialization. And so we've developed a platform that allows us to produce growth factors, which are the most expensive component in growth media at a, a much you know lower price point. That's where we come in. So where did the idea to do this come from? There were multiple starts, I think I would say, because we started as a consumer-facing company working on chicken. We established a cell line from a chicken here in Edmonton, much thanks to Matt's ingenuity, our co-founder. We were successful at that MVP phase, so to speak, multiple times. But the problem is that chicken we made was still $3,000 per pound, which wasn't very useful when chicken was $1.34 per pound at the time. Though in hindsight, I'm sure we could have gotten people to buy it, <laughs> considering how novel it was. The main reason for that was the growth media. So this really started out as trying to find a solution to our own problems. But the source of that solution to the novel platform, I will let Jolene fill that in. <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, like Ledgy said, we we knew something had to change. So we basically decided to prioritize creating this new method of producing growth media that was more affordable so we could drive down our own production costs. As far as the actual idea, I love to tell people that it was my idea. The tiny seed of the idea was mine, but Matt argues that he obviously fleshed it out and actually made it a reality, which is true. But but yeah, it was ultimately, you know, de- kind of developing this entirely novel way of producing growth factors that we were able to do. And then we found that that was so successful. It actually made a lot more sense for us to focus on that as our value proposition, you know, rather than actually kind of just holding it in for only our company, that it was something that could help every company in this industry. So I guess, when was it last fall, Leggy, that we decided to pivot and focus specifically on that as our product instead? We live in a province where agriculture is pretty important. What has it been like to do this in Alberta, where you know, I would imagine this can be a pretty controversial subject. Uh, it's actually been quite good, to be honest. I actually grew up on a farm in southern Alberta, outside of Drumheller for a number of years when I was younger, did the whole gamut. But kind of like why our team is successful in that we have different disciplines, different ideas, and different approaches. We've actually gotten quite positive response from farmers generalizing a bit in Canada and then we get asked the question of how would I incorporate this new technology into how I regularly farm? Could I take my cow's cells uh, and turn that into a separate product and do both at the same time? Farmers are pretty good at innovating on their own because often you don't have a choice. So the reception has actually been quite positive. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And I think, you know, it is still a very new industry and we're just starting to see what the opportunities are for integrating with the existing agricultural system. There definitely are opportunities, whether that be growing the inputs that will eventually make up the cell culture media or the different components along the whole kind of chain of production for cellular agriculture products. There's so many opportunities, I think, for the existing industry to adapt and work alongside and for them to support each other. Like Leggy said, so far, the reception has been pretty positive. I think there's also some people who just think it will never happen, so they're not worried about it. But, <laughs> but you know, those that, that, we've actually, that we've actually spoken with, it's been pretty positive, which is not what I originally expected for sure. Yeah, that is surprising. And you've actually been able to grow pretty quickly is my understanding, right? And you you took part in the first Startup TNT Investment Summit earlier this year. What was it like to go through that experience? It was good. Definitely the definition of uh, whether or not we grow quickly or not varies depending on what area the world you're talking about with startups. Growing in size, both from a capital perspective and like personnel, to double in size or triple in size within a year, from my own perspective at least, certainly isn't abnormal in the general startup landscape. Everyone likes to be really aggressive trying to find that product market fit. But once you think you have it, you are really encouraged to chase that as hard as possible. The saying is growth tends to solve problems, uh, growth on the revenue side. We're definitely in line with our growth for what you might normally see with like a Silicon Valley startup. Definitely startup TNT was awesome for us. Uh, I mean, it was originally unexpected. It was very accessible. 
uh, being able to pitch to the community was great to do that here in Edmonton. Everyone is pretty supportive. It definitely helps set us up for our eventual time in Y Combinator and also helped us close further funding with investors here in Canada. So you raised $60,000 in funds from the Startup TNT Summit. What did you end up doing with that money? Yeah, very specific. A lot of the grant programs, if you are a small business or a startup in Canada, a lot of the programs are in kind. So it allowed us to leverage IRAP program uh, and other programs here in Alberta to actually hire an additional staff member. The granting system here is great, but there is a caveat that you need some money to cover in kind. So that actually let us bring on our second employee. Yeah, Connor, one second, who moved all the way by himself, drove here from Ontario. But yeah, it let us leverage uh, granting we wouldn't have been able to otherwise. What else did you learn from going through that process? Because it's quite a rigorous process of actually when you're selected as, as one of the finalists and, you know, kind of that back and forth with the investors, from my understanding. How was that helpful? With Startup TNT, that back and forth and that diligence and that practice is more open and communicative than it might be in other scenarios. Being able to, I'm putting it very nicely, being able to, like, you can actually sit and talk to the people at Startup TNT and the investors involved. You can ask questions and it's okay if you don't know everything. The due diligence process varies heavily depending on where an investor is from, whether they're from Canada, uh, Singapore, or from Silicon Valley area. Some groups are very aggressive in that uh, you might never hear back. You might never know why you never heard back. Every investor group's expectations are different. But in the case of Startup TNT, it is safe to ask if you don't know, which sounds like a small thing, but is can actually be rare uh, depending on who you're trying to raise money from. Do you think that that's something that's unique to, well, obviously unique to Startup TNT, but do you think that's something that is kind of the culture of the Edmonton tech innovation startup community? Potentially, yeah. In general, Canada is more risk averse when it comes to early investments. Like even in our own example, we had raised capital more than triple from a American investor in basically like two hours versus three months of like full on lawyers and everything with some investors here in Canada. So, so far, I would say that is actually unique to Edmonton compared to all the other conversations we've had globally. We're going to talk more about the pitch process in a later episode, but what would you say to the companies that are getting ready to pitch now, whether it's to start up TNT or elsewhere, that maybe you wish you knew a year ago? I would say that you do have to set a high standard for yourself and try to stick to it. Definitely when you're looking for examples of what is or is not a good pitch, look outside of where you are. Every group will want something different, but you are not restricted to just taking somebody else's template and just rolling with it. Certainly find good examples and work against those. Most importantly, I guess a basic one is there are principles of what is good presentation and good presenting, especially if you're on a stage or even on a Zoom call and leverage those. I guess to put it simply, usually more is less 
uh, when it comes to presenting, but it can feel like you want to put as much on a slide or say as much as possible. And I think just also, you know, if I learned anything from our experience, I think the last year and a bit we have seen, you know, as a company, it feels like we've been relatively successful and we've had a lot of things good that just kept happening. But I wish that we had a a count of how many times as a company we pitched before that, that went so poorly (laughs) and that were just so painful. And so I think just practice is so important and getting really comfortable with feeling uncomfortable and, and, you know, kind of being open to those situations where you're not really sure what people are thinking or how it's going to go, but just, I think just practicing so much and kind of trying to gain that confidence in what you're doing. There's definitely a, a long period that you go through when it's, it's painful and awkward and you're figuring things out. So I think that's totally normal. Okay. In terms of growing the company, you were accepted into the Grow AgriFood Tech Accelerator out of Singapore and the University of Alberta Health Accelerator. Can you tell me more about those experiences and how effective accelerators are as a way to scale a company? Yeah, Grow AgriFood Tech, that was definitely serendipitous for us because we had the founder of that accelerator just reach out to us directly uh, from an Edmonton Journal article, no less. So it started through conversation. We were fortunate enough to get accepted into it. Travel to Singapore. Accelerators can be pivotal for growth. A lot of places and investor groups will set them up and use them. In our case, it really helped us understand the global landscape of our industry more wider. And it grow is really the reason why we made the pivot during our time in Singapore uh, and that we could validate that our offering on growth media was worth more than we were working on the chicken side because we were able to speak with potential customers and larger bio firms and government individuals that really showed us the potential that we had. Accelerators are very important for starting capital and they will take a risk on you, uh, assuming they're giving you a fair deal in how much equity they want to take. It's so hard to get that first investment that allows you to kind of take the next leap into, you know, one or more of your founders being full-time and maybe investing in some of the equipment or space that you need for us. Once we had that from grow, it just, it, it feels like everything really took off after that. And then, uh, you know, the, the health accelerator program, the Ulbert health accelerator has been so amazing to be able to have access to the lab space that we do is really, I just, I don't know where we would be as a company without that, that has been so important to us. And obviously having Sandra, who's amazing and somehow I think knows every person in the Edmonton, not even just startup world community, but just like she knows everything about everything. It has every connection and is so helpful. So yeah, both of those, you know, the timing of those was really important for us. And I, I don't think we would be where we are today if we hadn't have gotten into both of those when we did. There are different models, like some accelerators take equity off the bat, grow, of course, just by chance, I think also by the experience of the founding team between Ag Funder and Rocket Cedar was very generous to us and that they gave us capital against a safe agreement, uh, which was way more friendly than taking equity off the top. I think an important part, regardless of what it is, is you get out what you put into it and that you do have to know what you want Uh, to really find success in it. 
You're listening to Igniting Innovation, the first series from Taproot Edmonton Presents. This podcast is just one of the many ways that Taproot pays attention to our city. For even more coverage of Edmonton's startup scene, subscribe to the Tech Roundup, curated by me. You'll get the latest headlines and happenings from Edmonton's tech community delivered to your inbox every Tuesday. Visit taprootedmonton.ca to join. And for another local podcast with its finger on the pulse of Edmonton, subscribe to Speaking Municipally, our weekly discussion of municipal politics. Find Speaking Municipally wherever you find your podcasts or at taprootedmonton.ca. And now, back to our show. I've asked our last couple of guests in the series about diversity and inclusion in Edmonton's tech innovation sector. And Zach and Karen spoke about how things are maybe improving a bit on the entrepreneur side of things, at least when it comes to the investment summit, not as much on the investor side. But as entrepreneurs, what has your experience been like? For us, I think, you know, one of the bigger challenges we have as a company is science and academia in general are not very diverse. And so that really impacts, you know, as a company who we are able to hire and the kind of talent that we are, we're able to find. And I think there's like, I mean, it's like, how far back do you go? The whole system is kind of, you know, designed to, as we know, promote a particular demographic (laughs) to kind of higher positions, especially like in the hard sciences. And so that's definitely something that we've, we've struggled with in hiring. Like I remember our first job posting for a scientist, we got zero female applicants, like not one. And it was just, you know, we've been able to turn that around, but how do you, that's on us to make sure that we're, you know, the job works for people who have families or, or, you know, different demographics of people, but it's, yeah, it's like, it's a really kind of the whole science system. It's kind of so ingrained in that, that sometimes it's hard to get around that challenge. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, we went as far as to change the imagery specifically on our website around to make sure that it's not just guys on the page that Jolene is actually immediately visible since she actually works here. Small stuff like that can go a long way. Uh, I mean, you need to tell people. It's hard because architecting interviews all the way of like architecting your job descriptions for specific language is a hard thing to do. But yeah, Jolene is correct in that in our case, being in a biotech firm. But yeah, academics will filter that out. On the diversity side, I was speaking with a company that was started all by uh, younger gentlemen that are diverse here in Edmonton that were pitching a startup TNT. So that was great to see and great to speak with them. But 100%, yeah, there's still a very long ways to go. It is not easy, especially on the investor side, depending on who you're speaking with. In some groups, like Black Founders groups as an example, uh, I mean, you'll see people discussing tactics like, oh, bring a person who is Caucasian with you to the meeting and give them specific lines to say. Like, you have to go out of your way, depending on what environment you're in, just to get taken seriously a lot of the time. And... For others, it might seem like the talk about diversity all the time is overkill, and surely we've made it that far, but that is not the case. I mean, that's part of the reason why you see it keep coming up. Global events being an obvious example, and that it still is an issue, and it will always be an issue. It is a long way to go uh, until we feel that things are normalized, and these things take decades. 
what do you think that could be done to make the Edmonton tech innovation sector more welcoming to whether it's, you know, more diversity, more female entrepreneurs, whatever it may be, but so that people who aren't necessarily part of this sector right now feel like it's a place for them if they want it to be. It is a structural thing and it is a rock and a hard place because I mean, there's a lot of talk about programs in the States. There's specific investment groups that have a core mission of investing in diverse applicants. Uh, a thing here in Canada, uh, which is more difficult in itself is like, if you are founding a company and you are part of, I'll just say the norm, you do have to plan and go out of your way if you want to find a more diverse co-founder or diverse applicant. And that is not something that is necessarily intuitive or easy to do, especially depending on what industry you're in. So it is a responsibility of as much as companies and businesses in Canada as it is for individual investors uh, and programs that are being uh, created. It will be a combination of things that'll ultimately make things better for everyone. I mean, our company is an easy example where our diversity in experience as well is actually what has helped us be successful. We do not have all the same degree. We do not have all the same life experience. And that is what has allowed us to come up with better solutions than any other company globally. Certain groups, companies, or individuals might get caught in a looping argument about the word diversity. I encourage those people to look at it not necessarily even from the perspective of like what you see necessarily, but even in terms of skill sets. So like you can be really good at, let's say, making the back end to a piece of software, but you still need somebody to do a kick-ass design and maybe do the front end. But that same set of, oh, there's actually scale in different disciplines. It's that same idea when it comes to diversity. It's just applying it a bit further and that somebody having a different perspective uh, can combine in the same way to cover things that you just couldn't see if your entire team came from the same place. Uh, it can feel awkward and it can feel difficult to put it lightly, but figuring out how to incorporate those other viewpoints legitimately lets you make uh, better products uh, for people. That's a good point. I, I think we talked about that in the first episode about for innovation to be successful, you have to have people with different backgrounds and different perspectives. And, and that's really what it's all about. It looks like we're making progress and that some people are, you know, it's being talked about more and, you know, you'll see panels on at conferences and stuff. Like Leji said, it's, it's like the, the hard, uncomfortable thing to do. And, you know, even as a business, it's, it's often not, the easy route to go to like to make sure that you're making whether that's you know job postings or even just the way positions operate accessible to you know a diverse group of people and I think it, even though it feels like things are progressing we still see a lot of you know there'll be a panel on on like women in tech that has men on it and I'm just like what <laughs> you know you still see things like that and it's just like at what point are we just going to say that I think there's still like a lot of work to do. There's still this underlying idea that there are a specific 
groups of people that are, they're the voice that we need to be listening to in, in this area. And I just think like, it's still going to take a lot of work to get away from that. And uh, the conversations that we're starting to have are still very surface level, I think. And so I'm, I'm happy to see progress, but it is, it's work. It's not something that's just going to, just going to happen. We like, we actually have to make real changes and not just talk about it. So that's a really important point. It's been interesting, like, because we wanted to to talk about this kind of throughout this series, even though it's not specifically about diversity, I think it's an important conversation to be having. But you're right, it does have to go beyond having a conversation about it. There has to be, you know, actual tangible actions taken, which that's that's a whole other story. Looking forward, what do you have your eye on next for future fields? What's coming up? Shipping product as much and as fast as possible. Yeah, that's our, that's definitely our big goal is actually getting something out the door. It's getting closer, you know, that's kind of the way science goes. It's, we can't ask Matt anymore. Every time I ask him, I feel like it's when you ask someone who's trying to finish their PhD, like, when are you going to be done school? It's just like, don't, don't talk to me right now, (laughs) but we're getting there. Like definitely a couple weeks away now. That's a very exciting step for us to actually be, yeah, shipping product across the world. And how has COVID impacted that? Uh, it's, you know, I think it's been challenging probably for different reasons. I think in in some ways it's been good for our, you know, our industry because there has never been more attention around issues of food security and how fragile our food supply chains are and, and really the need to make a change in that area. But we also, as a company that, you know, does science and has a lab, we don't have the option to work remotely. And so that has definitely been you know, with its challenges, just, you know, and, and, you know, we have people on our team who have kids. And I think just this whole winter, we're just kind of, there's a lot of ups and downs. Like, you know, it's like someone gets a stuffy nose and the whole team has to isolate or something, right? Or whether we're all wearing masks. And, you know, there was even a time when COVID first hit that Matt actually built a lab in our basement so he could keep working from home. So we've kind of had to adapt and just like find ways around that because we can't work remotely. But so it's been a challenge, but I don't think anything we haven't been able to work with and deal with. I am just expecting this winter to be, I don't think our whole team will ever be there. And that's just the way it's going to be. Mm-hmm. A, an interesting positive effect is with COVID and global climate is the uh, talent base for people. There are a lot of people looking to come back to Canada <laughs> or to set up in Canada, which has been fortunate for us. In the last episode, Chris and Ashlyn talked about like the challenge of attracting talent to Edmonton in particular. Is that something that you've run into or, or you mentioned COVID maybe has helped with that? We have taken a specific approach in how we're positioning ourselves and our brand. I think we are fortunate in that because the industry we're in is so new that it does attract a particular subset of people who are willing to move across the country to come work for us. So it's been relatively positive so far, uh, but feel free to jump in, Jolene. Oh, I was just going to say that I agree with you that I think a lot of people are rethinking how nice it is to live somewhere where you can't really go out and be away from people and the cost of living is really expensive. And Edmonton is such a great you know, middle ground city for that. We still have so much going on and, you know, such a great startup ecosystem and, you know, so many things to do. And we're seeing now a lot of people that left Edmonton about a decade ago when it wasn't quite the same. And now they're, they're seeing like this kind of new 
invigorated Edmonton that has so much to offer and you can also have a bit of room <laughs> to breathe, you know, and not have to necessarily stay in your apartment. Like we we're you know, talking to people who are living in New York or San Francisco and it just, yeah, I think Edmonton's a very, there's a lot of appeal in moving back to a place like this right now, especially. As you grow both in like attracting talent and funding, et cetera, what still needs to be done so that this industry can compete with traditional meat? Well, there's definitely a lot of opportunities along the entire production chain for these cellular agriculture products. We're focused in growth media and reducing that cost will ultimately very much help get companies to market. There are opportunities in bioprocess design, uh, in cell line development, in bioreactors, in packaging, in scaffolds. What else needs to be done? Uh, growth media is really like the core hurdle and companies will start to release products probably within the next 24 to 32 months here uh, as that starts to reach consumer price parity. But then once that happens, there will be innovations from new startups as well in each part of the chain. There isn't really necessarily anything directly in the way in terms of black box. It's more about unit economics at the moment. A lot of research in this area uh, and just on eating, you know, meat eating habits in general shows that people care the most about cost and taste. And so we know that the taste is there. Companies have produced prototypes and that end of things is ready to go. So I, I definitely think it's just driving down the cost a little bit more Then I think that's really the last piece that needs to fall into place. Thanks to Leggy and Jalene for joining us on the podcast. If you want to learn more about what Future Fields is up to, check them out at futurefields.io. So Zach, you know Future Fields because of the summit earlier this year. What did you think? What were your thoughts about the episode? I really enjoyed listening to it and learned a bunch of insights from them that had a few key takeaways. You know, you, they talked a lot about diversity from two different angles. Mm -hmm. Jolene talked about the challenge of getting more women in the STEM fields, sort of us as a community having to go a little bit farther up the supply chain to ensure that we have a broad representation within the startup community. That kind of hit home. And Leggy talked about the challenges that Black founders and other people of color still face just in doing things that someone like me takes for granted day to day. So I think um, a good reminder for all of us just to you know recognize that some people that we think of as friends and equals to us, you know, they actually have a very different experience on a day-to-day on -day basis going to something as simple as a networking event. So one take-home message I got that Leggy said that really sticks with me, and this is something really important to Startup TNT and a big part of our brand, is the approachability of the investor community. And, you know, on the side of the entrepreneurs, you know, it's acceptable to ask questions. You don't know the answers. And, you know, we as the investors and the support group can say, it's, you know, that's all right. We'll help you figure it out it's okay if you don't have all the answers in terms of what goes into your data room or what due diligence looks like. So that's really part of the goal of Startup TNT as, as an investment process is that both the investors and the entrepreneurs realize that they're both learning on both sides of the, of the equation, learning together. Do you think that that's something that can 
be more common in you know Edmonton and Canada. Leggy said that that's something that's pretty unique to startup TNT and also Edmonton in, in some ways in terms of the community here that there really is that aim to foster it's okay to ask questions. It's okay if you don't know the answer. How do we build that in other places? I mean, that's a tough question, Emily, but I, I think that for me, what it comes down to is this co-founder mindset where we as the investors or we have the supporters of the entrepreneurs, we view themselves as equals to them. We're helping them build their company. We're like a co-founder, if that's just for like a 30-minute conversation or if that's for like a longer engagement or as an investor, like, you know, we're doing everything we can to help them. And so, you know, we're, we're friends with them. We're not just, you know, people giving advice and or giving money and walking away. I think that there's no easy way to sort of build that culture and mindset. I think that just comes with time and building relationships and putting groups together and building relationships, which is, you know, what I think our community is doing a lot more of now and should continue to do. Okay. Well, next week we'll be back with John Pinson and Rhonda Nedelec, two Edmontonians who have chosen to invest in local startups. Can you give us a little bit of a background on them, Zach? Absolutely. Really happy to have both of them participate in our first investment summit. John Pinson is someone that you know, has been investing in the startup community here in Edmonton for a decade or two decades. He's in something like 70 plus deals. He's received awards for his his dedication to the startup community. He's a recognized leader in the field. And so it's, it was really awesome and special to have him participate with us in the very first investment summit. He was a sage voice providing some, some guidance to all of us as we we're going through the process. And then Rhonda, is exactly the type of person we're looking for to join us. I mean, it was her first time angel investing, as far as I recall. She works for a great local company called Zag Creative. Her husband, who also participated with her, they basically did it together as a team. He had built out a network of hearing aid centers, something like 18 of them. And so, you know, they're successful business people in their own right, but they haven't really done technology investing before, angel investing. And so it was a whole new world for them. And they loved it. We loved having them, and they're just the people we're looking to see get involved with the startup community. Okay, great. Well, you can catch them next Wednesday and a new episode of Igniting Innovation every Wednesday until the end of November. Thanks to the Edmonton Regional Innovation Network, it's helping to fund this podcast series through a community initiatives grant. You can learn more about ERIN at edmontonrin.ca. And if you're enjoying these episodes, make sure to leave a review and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. This is Taproot Edmonton Presents, Igniting Innovation.